Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Richie Keene's new comedy, Fist Fight. The film stars Charlie Day and Ice Cube and tells the story of high school teacher Andy, who inadvertently causes the school's toughest and most feared teacher, Ron Strickland, to get fired on the last day of the year. Challenged to a fight by the angered Strickland, Campbell is desperate to avoid his impending doom as news of the showdown spreads across the campus like wildfire. In addition to Fist Fight, Mr. Keene's credits include the movies for television Kings by Night, Living with the Bandon, and Below the Law, the pilot for the television series Teachers, and episodes of the television series The Goldbergs, Marin, The Comedians, Sirens, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. After a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Keene spoke with fellow director Seth Gordon about making Fistfight. During their conversation, Mr. Keene discusses how he sought to create a prisoners versus inmates theme throughout the film, shares the lessons he learned as a first-time feature director, and describes how he views comedy as a democracy where ideas can come from anywhere. It's a great way to watch a comedy in a big barn. Thanks for uh, sticking around on this holiday evening, everybody. Um, I'd love to get into some of this. I really enjoyed the film. Thank you. Really fun. I'm blown. I just got to say, I would be lucky to have half the career this guy has. I don't know Seth, and he came because he's a great guy. And uh, I'm so grateful that I get to sit here with you and talk with you. So thank you. Thank you very much. I wanted to talk about, well, first, I guess I want to hear about process because it's always the stories behind the movie can be as good as the story that's on screen, too. I'm, um, how did this start for you and, you know, what was the history of it? So, Facebook uh, today let me know what I was doing five years ago. And I was an out of work director, uh, aspiring director who was an acting teacher. Uh, trying to convince people to hire him. Uh, So I was blessed that It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia hired me to direct their show, and that led to all sorts of amazing adventures in television. And um, about two and a half years ago, started reading movie scripts. Uh, No one had any interest in hiring me. And uh, I said to my, my agent, Matt, that I was going to be a very annoying client because I was not going to like anything. But when I read something I liked, I would go at it full throttle and try and make it undeniable. And when I read Fist Fight growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, it read like a rated R Ferris Bueller to me. Like it read like it had those John Hughes tropes of it all takes place in a day, it takes place in a high school, it's a day that changed someone's life. And I just felt like I could help elevate this project. So I started to pursue this movie. No one would meet with me. Uh, I finally got in to meet with a 
younger uh, executive at New Line and sort of began this Willie Loman-esque carrying my wares from door to door, knocking on doors. I made a trailer uh, for the movie. I had storyboards for the fight. And then in that time, Charlie Day signed on. So it was like this amazing, weird... I mean, of course he did. We have a similar sensibility. And, and so that was an amazing sort of piece of kismet. And then Ice Cube signed on. And um, eventually, I actually, I thought Charlie, when he signed on, I thought he'd be like, you're my guy. And he was like, tell me you know, what you think we should do. <laughs> um, you know, there were other great directors that were up for the job. And so I had to convince Charlie. And then it got down to, I think, like three or four of us. And and, and with each subsequent meeting I took, as no one would actually admit that they had met with me, uh, and more and more people were asking me questions about what I wanted to do, I learned about more and more about the kinds of things I needed to know. And by what the are, what are some of those? Uh, talk more about how you're going to elevate Ice Cube's character. You know, tell us specifically what the fight's going to look. And you know, the fight was so these two guys, Evan and Van, wrote the script. They did a f fantastic job. The fight took place in the parking lot, and for me to live up to the promise of the title, it had to almost be like a horror movie where at the end of the movie, you're kind of running through all the places you've been at the camp that the Jason or whoever is, is, is attacking kids at. And I wanted to just have things throughout the movie that were set up that when we got to the fight got paid off. And so I kind of talked to that. Um, they had put a couple, they put some senior pranks in the movie, and I wanted it to be so I kept saying this is a prison riot movie. It should be the prison guards versus the inmates. And the whole thing should be a boiling pot. So the fight isn't just about these two teachers, but it's about the school and it's about, you know, uh, without being heavy handed, a little bit about the system. So by the time I sat down with, with Toby Emmerich and Richard Brenner and everyone at New Line, I was focused like a laser and, you know, got the call that it's looking like it's me. And then... Uh, had to meet Ice Cube's manager, not Ice Cube, but Ice Cube's manager, and then ultimately, hey, Ice Cube wants to meet you tomorrow. Great. Where? When? Atlanta. So, you know, there's a ticket waiting for you. Go, down, go to the airport, and I fly to Atlanta and sit in a hotel room, and I'm drinking. You know, I started off dressed like you, and I'm drinking coffee, waiting for the phone ring, and by the time the phone rings, I'm in a T-shirt, and I'm sweating, and, you know, I've been sitting there all day just getting jittery and I go down to the lobby and for 45 minutes and by the way Ice Cube is the nicest guy in the world so he'd hate me saying that so I'm sitting with him in the lobbies here and I'm trying to like n drop the hammer on these bits and and what I'm gonna do and every time I'm about to someone's like can I get a picture can you and I'm taking the picture I can't like close the deal because he's like yeah come come take a picture so I'm like I'm bombing and 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 then I really I'm like okay here's what we're gonna do and I'm and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting him with, with exactly what I want to do with his story and, and the way I want it to look. And, and, and finally, you know, we've, we're about to finish the meeting. It seems like it's gone well. And I just say, Cube, Cube, we doing this? We doing this? And he just leans back and he goes, man, you flew out here in a moment's notice. I like what you have to say. Let's go make a movie, motherfucker. And uh, that began a year and a half long partnership with Ice Cube. That's great. Yeah. That's great. <clears throat> um, I'm curious about script process on this because I've worked with Charlie and know what sort of a font of genius he is, yeah. both on the you know computer before you get there, but but also between takes and 
everything. So I would imagine there was not only just your playing around improv stuff happening, but that he also was, you know, pretty active in shaping story as you led up, as you inevitably get squeezed, right? In the final push of yeah. prep. Yeah. Um, and, and you need to reconfigure some things. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we were in a unique situation because it moved fast. And, you know, you probably know better than I. Like, this was a situation where I got the job and they're like, we're making it. Let's go. Ice Cube has a window. And I felt like I wanted to do all sorts of things. Um, you know, Jillian Bell's role was written for a guy, Tracy Morgan's role was written for like a younger white guy. Um, Kumail didn't have a role in the movie and I just felt like I needed to build the greatest rock band to help me elevate you know look our best friend and our worst enemy was the concept uh, it's so clean and clear what it is in, in a year where these great movies have come out that people haven't seen because it's hard to tell what the movie's about and at the same time we knew look it's it's a movie about a fight so how do we make this interesting how do we make the journey interesting Charlie was his fingerprints are all over it we did a lot of work together on the script um, after we, we had the writers do work and they did a terrific job. And then it, we were suddenly we're in Atlanta and Charlie and I were just riding away. And um, and then, Char like, for example, that great that scene that Charlie does so well with his foot on the car, we weren't going to do that. We, we had decided this is just too unplausible. Is that a word uh, to to have him with his foot on the car and even our producer Sean Levy, who's a great director, said made a comment comedically after the um, table read, like, look, I I'm all about physical comedy. I even I think that's not going to work. So we got there on the day, and Charlie's like, we're doing it. Go get the old side. Go get, go, someone get on, get the PDF from two drafts ago where my foot's on the car, and we're doing it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't, let's do it. Why not? Let's go for it. Um, and, and likewise on set, Charlie, Charlie, um, he's just a special guy. I mean, he just had great ideas throughout. And um, watching him and Kumail riff, watching him and Jillian riff was just great. And they and I, there's definitely you know, Seabiscuit, which is one of the funnier jokes in the movie. Just Tracy just said it, you know. Um, uh, so, and the great thing about Charlie is you don't know when he's riffing. Like he delivers a line that's written like it's a riff, and he delivers a riff like it's written. He's just he's just great that way. But Charlie was had his fingerprints all over the movie. Thankfully, what were uh, in in the storyboards that you originally presented to layers of executives? It yeah. sounds like did any, what of that survived or or the slippery hallway? Yeah, uh, that was something I wanted in there where there'd be I a can't prank. Believe no one threw their back out like that's that look eight days of that fight we wow. filmed eight days of that fight um that made it uh the car i had growing up we had always talked about we had a prank we wanted to do on the principal where we were going to take apart his car outside and reassemble it in the lobby so he couldn't get it out none of us were smart enough to actually do it but i was like let's put that in the movie and so we wanted to ultimately end up where they were landing on the car and the principal was pissed that it was getting even more beat up. Um, oh, the mariachi band. The mariachi band, uh, I just, you know, I think it was Dan Cohn, one of our producers who had that idea and said, I, I heard about a real thing where like a guy was followed around by a mariachi band. I was like, that's fucked 
amazing. And then I just was like, if the if that mariachi band at the end is playing Rocky, uh, that would just be. And, and I was like, we have to find the band. We have to go to a Mexican restaurant and find an actual mariachi band. And I don't want to pre-record them in Atlanta. I, I, yes, I want them to not be great. I want the the trumpet to be just a little off. Yeah. And these God bless these. We had two bands come in, and they're you know these guys are used to playing at you know El Compadre or whatever uh, in in Atlanta, and uh, those guys were just terrific. So th those were all things that were sort of in the pitch of what the fight could be. And then uh, I think I had a thing with the helicopter. My whole thing with the fight was just I wanted it to be both real. I wanted to beat They Live in time, uh, which I think is. Second greatest fight uh, on film. <laughs> I just love that fight. I don't know if you guys have ever seen They Live, yeah. but man, if you haven't, just YouTube the, the fight and They Live. It's so absurd. These two men are just beating each other up forever. Uh, like, we have to beat the, the length of that, and there ha we have to think it's over a couple times, and we have to have a few laughs. So we have to have like a break in the action to get a laugh so it's not just brutal for the sake of brutal point. And that was all in the pitch, and that ended up in the movie. Well, I liked awesome some of the choices, like just have Ice Cube knock him out yeah. from the beginning, get that over with. Yeah. Right? Then it's about getting back up. Yeah. You know, that uh, was a lot of fun. Um, I thought that, that, that Jillian Bell was extraordinary. So, did you know her first and write it to be, write her to be that part? Or. Right. So, I'd never met Jillian. It was an amazingly written part, but it was for a guy. I thought it was a very tough sell, even in a rated R movie for teenagers. Uh, I felt like, how do you have a guy who is doing meth and looking at girls? And um, and I, but I, so Ice Cube had said to me, I, hey, like, I want to do something different in this. I don't want to be the guy from 21 Jump Street. I don't want to be yelling and like, you know, I don't want to be the angry black guy that I'm specifically on purpose playing in 21 Jump Street. I said, well, I'm not worried about that because I don't want, I want you to be the shark in Jaws for the first half of the movie. I just want you to kind of quietly, you know, swimming around Charlie. But in going back to watch all of his movies again, I watch, I'm watching 22 Jump Street and I'd seen Workaholics, but I'm just like, this girl is so special. Like she's going toe to toe with the funniest people and she's stealing the, the scenes and I called Charlie up actually, and I said, "I think Jillian Bell should be your your buddy." And he's like, "That's a great idea." And I'd never met her, and we did a quick pass and sent it to her, and she wanted to do it. And uh, she, we couldn't work it out. There were things that were keeping us from working it out, and the studio said, "You know, we're going to move on. We're not going to use Jillian. We're going to use someone else." And uh, Jillian was having a general meeting on the Warner Brothers lot with the executives and I heard about it and I sh drove to the lot and I showed up and I went into the meeting and I got on my hands and my knees <laughs> and I said, uh, I mean, you should have, I opened the door and everyone's like, uh huh? Mm -hmm. Like everyone's just like, who, what are you doing? And I got on my hands and my knees, my name's Rajilli, my name's Richie Keen, I'm directing Fist Fight, I'm begging you literally to do this movie. And uh, she just, the look on her face was just astonished and, um, and they worked it out and, 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 so I knew, again, with a concept that is so straightforward and so uh, simple is not the most elegant word, I knew that I had to inhabit it with special people. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, you know, her and, and Tracy were, were, were keys to that. Well, and some of those kids were 
great too. Were yeah. they uh, Atlanta Discoveries or what was? What yeah, was that? yeah. I kept saying, "What would John Hughes do?" <laughs> he would, you know, growing up in Highland Park, Illinois, he would cast local kids. He'd make discoveries. Uh, the twins are not our LA guys. Um, uh, there's a couple other guys who have done a few things, but for the most part, I mean, that girl, you know, uh, plays Charlie's daughter, sent me a, a tape. She's a local kid. Awesome. She's like, not, she's even outside of Atlanta. Um, and that the, her poor parents, the, that wasn't the song in the script. Uh, I changed the song out about what a week before Kanye West Power. Okay. And uh, I had a very zen lesson, which was, well, you can't afford Kanye West power. I learned about this right before shooting, and I thought, well, how do you replace a Kanye West song? It's so badass, you know? And I said, well, what can we afford? And they sent me like 100 songs. You can afford these 100 songs. And I'm just, I got my headphones on like for two whole nights, you know, during prep. And, and guys, I'm 42, I'm not that hip. I don't know that, I don't know Big Sean that well. I mean, I know who the dude is, and I probably had heard that song, but I heard that song, and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to save our third act. Like, this is so special. And I had to get Charlie's permission, so I called Charlie. He's like, yes! And actually, the, and then I had to call, I convince this kid's parents. Um, uh, and God bless them. They were like, oh, she wants to do it. She's excited, you know. And by the way, she's already come to L.A. She has an agent. She's like... Gonna, she's going to be like a child star. Yeah. But but local kids, I mean, um, as much as I could, and diverse. Um, but like the first two kids that I see, the, the rush hour kids, you know, uh, the you know, there's an Asian kid and an African-American kid, local. Um, as many as I could. I just felt like I want this, I want them to look like real kids. And um, and that was a real joyful experience to, to find those kids. Yeah, and not, not easy. I mean, like Atlanta is busy and yeah picked over and everything yeah um do you hate public school i actually love public school <laughs> um so i i my mother worked in a high school for 20 years charlie's both of his parents are educators and i had teachers like all of these people it was very important to all of us from the writers to the actors that both charlie and ice cube be teachers who really care about their jobs really want the kids to learn and I had both of these guys. One of them wants to be your buddy, and if you take your phone out in class, he'll take a selfie with you. And one of them, as he says, I don't need to be liked, I need to educate. But he loves the Civil War, and he, he wants you to see this beautiful documentary. He's just a guy who wishes he could hit the kids. You know, like, you know, Cube talks about that. He's like, man, when I was growing up, you get hit. Um, and then Tracy, Morgan, I, I had a gym teacher just like Tracy Morgan, and I, and I had a guidance counselor who looked just like Jillian Bell and dressed that way, and I did always wonder, like, I wonder what she's really like. So I, I don't have any answers about <laughs> education. I do know that in the smallest way, I did want to just say we should take a look at what's going on because it's not working. The kids are taking over. Our teachers are not empowered, and uh, so... But as I said, I wanted this to sort of be a prison guards versus inmates look at public school. I, I, t I picked a school that was literally abandoned, and I didn't fix it up that much. I mean, it's like that, that opening shot, I wanted, I wanted it to feel like a prison yard, and it's rusty and crappy. And I could, tell you, I could tell you from touring schools, that's unfortunately the reality in a lot of places. So, And so that big uh, fight was in the courtyard of an actual school. Yeah. I thought maybe because it was that three-sided. Right. A, I mean... I bet 
Eric Edwards yeah. right shot it was could silk that. It was like a It was tough. Yeah. It was a very tough Eric. Did you pick it partly for that crane shot or the, how you go from the roof right. down to the Right. Uh I picked it so here's the deal. I went to like fifteen schools in Atlanta and we were at a point where we we're gonna probably have to combine two or three schools because nothing had uh a gym and a huge parking lot. Nothing had a it was crazy. And I got to that school, which had just been abandoned, and I l walked into the back, and I'm like, this is a prison yard. And I knew I wanted to do a big sweeping shot. I hadn't designed that yet. But no, I mean, for me, I saw that school, and I was like, this feels like a shitty, run-down public school. And it was two years ago. This is Kids went to school here two years ago. Um, so we had challenges in that, yeah, we couldn't silk the whole thing. And, you know, we were, by Studio Center's a modestly budgeted movie. And so there are, if you really watch it closely, there's moments in the fight where, like, the red brick wall is on fire, basically, and there are moments where it's in the shade, and you just say, do the best we can with yeah, that. Embrace it, Yeah, right? Um, what about the editing process on this? Because yeah. I've done a couple movies at New Line, I know how they pay attention at different times, right? Yeah. And and very focused attention. I'm just curious what got reshaped in the editing process, either structurally or it's always yeah. interesting. Our movie was just too long and had too much stuff. And comedy is a democracy in my, in my eyes. They gave me the great gift of, I had three like mini screenings where I got to have 100 strangers before they the studio watched it. And you just watch and go, oh, no one needs to see that scene. I mean, there there's two scenes we just fully lifted out. Um, that scene with Charlie and Kamel in the parking lot, in, in the Richie Keene cut, it's like 50 times longer. Like, like my first cut of that scene, I just think it's the greatest thing, I, uh, watching those two guys go. And then you're watching it with an audience, and they're like, we got it. Like, we got it. Let's, go. let's pick three, dude. Like, let's go. So... Um, part of the editing process for me as a first time feature director was just learning to listen to the audience and then also to trust myself and just say, you know, my, I had a playwriting teacher in college and he said, disciplined writing isn't writing every day. It's cutting your favorite scene because it doesn't progress the story. And there were just moments like that where I had to just say, I know it's a good laugh or I know it's, it's not worth it. Right. Or you'd fallen in love with a performance yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the studio... Um, they had certain things that they always do that they like. Um, they love outtakes. Uh, they love, uh, th there are certain things that they like and they, we just negotiated, uh, lots of things. And, um, and for me as I couldn't believe for a first time filmmaker, how much they just said, if you really feel strongly about that, we got it. Um, Right. So and they didn't force you. No, they were phenomenal partners yeah, at the awesome. end of the day, and and actually, I learned a lot from them because, man, I mean, you've made movies with them. These, they've done it. I'm I'm new. They've done it a lot, and it's hard because I'm full of some vinegar, and I know exactly what I want. And they'll say, "Why don't you just try it like this first screening?" And then you do it, and you go, "God damn it, they were right." And so uh, that was that was a great and lesson. What, I I assume there was a preview process yes. as well. So. How did, what did, I mean, the first time through that is wild. So oh my God. <laughs> what did, you, how did that go? It's for the you? biggest, mi this whole process is like, so, such a roller coaster. I mean, we had, we only did one preview because we tested so well. They didn't want to, they're like, we're good. And, you know, 
it's so interesting when you you know you read reviews and you go on Rotten Tomatoes. But we tested in the '90s. What happened? Uh, uh, we tested through the roof, uh, and after that test, they gave me another screening and said, "Try ten or fifteen jokes you've never put in before and see how they go." We're, like, and we did, and we were done. I think of the ten or fifteen, I kept two, and we were done. They were thrilled with the with the testing experience, and you know, I didn't know anything about numbers and I remember Sean Levy saying if you get this number you're reshooting if you get this number you're in good shape you're gonna have to do a lot of work if you get this number they're gonna leave you alone and I remember and and so you're sitting in a theater that's even bigger than this and you're waiting after the audience leaves and they come out and they tell us a number and Sean looked at me and said they're gonna leave you alone <laughs> thought, okay cool yeah I mean I it's it's wild though too because sometimes what they're uh, they're happy with a number, but there are lessons that you've learned potentially from that screening yeah. that you may not want to stop, even if they. They kept you. I wouldn't stop. And actually, uh, Dave Neustadt of the studio said, You're the first director we ever had to tell to stop. Usually, it's the other way around, where the director's like, oh, I'm good. Can we just be done? And I just kept saying, Can I get one more screening? Um, and look, we just focused in on our. We, this was a movie for people under 25, really, because we knew that the people that were going to be most interested in seeing teachers fight were going to be people <laughs> in school or just out of school. Yep. And so uh, I have this great picture on my phone of a woman sleeping at our test screening because every time someone would talk about how we tested, I would show them the picture, and I'd be like, yeah, but she fell asleep. <laughs> she... <laughs> I used to be a stand-up comic, and you know you, the whole audience is laughing. There's one person in the front with their arms folded, and you're like, "What's your problem, bro?" Uh, that, and so I, I want to make this woman my profile picture, but I, I don't want to get sued. But she was like my my spirit animal through this whole process. Like, what would yeah. have kept her awake? The it's spirit. not a quiet movie. I mean, to fall asleep, <laughs> you know. Spirit animal of your inner critic. Yeah. Right. Just sleeping. Yeah. Um, let's see. I I was curious. Well, I, I'd actually, if there's any questions people have, I'm, I always love to hear what an audience's questions might be, too. Um, I don't know if, if, if there is a microphone or if there's anybody that, that has anything they want to chime in with. Anyone? Yeah. Um, uh, 40 shoot days that we, we got because so we stayed at that school for almost everything. Even in, um, there was a whole sequence in the script that's fantastic that had to go away because we couldn't afford it. It was like a flashback to the Civil War and in its place, it was like Ice Cube's ancestor and Charlie's ancestor and it was this amazing, uh, amazingly written sequence. And you know, when I got the movie and they did the budget and the budget was I think like 35 million and they said, well, we're gonna give you 22 million. You know, you go, oh, all right, that's gone. So. I said, what if we do a sequence where like it's the mythology of who this guy was and it's a bunch of just to open it up a little bit. And the writers did a great job, but they wrote, you know, they wrote an Iraq sequence where there's a helicopter flying by and I said, Well, let's make it a bunker. You know, let's 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 to keep everything at the school. So we were able to squeeze a few extra days out because we we didn't leave the school for for much of it, for most of it, I would say. And so I was able to eke out what probably would have been a 35-day shoot schedule um, into 40. The AD, Vincent Lascombes, is just a saint. 
Um, no one should have to deal with me for 40 days. Um, Some of those crowd scenes were truly gigantic. Yeah. Um, so I think your AD department. Oh, f phenomenal, like, impressive. <laughs> uh, some of those people are, are VFXed in because when you're in Atlanta and 600 people say they're showing up, 300 might. Um, the amazing thing was we had a core group of like 250 kids. And every day I'd get, the first thing i do in the morning is I'd grab a microphone and I'd welcome everyone and I'd thank everyone and say, thank you for being here. You're a part of the movie. You're making this hum. You're probably going to be on camera. There's cameras everywhere. And, and then I would have the cast come in and they would applaud every morning. And it's, it was like, in LA, no one would do that. <laughs> but I think we were in the middle of nowhere, Atlanta. We weren't like in the heart of Atlanta. And I think these kids couldn't believe that Ice Cube and Tracy Morgan and right. Charlie Day were there right, and right. Christina Hendricks. And so um, uh, they were wonderful. Those kids were fantastic and they were a part of it. A constant reminder of how lucky and privileged the whole thing is, right? Yeah. Just to get to do it. Yeah. Um, what about, what about, uh, you know, some of the other production challenges that might not have, I mean, I love to hear about the sequence that couldn't fit in. Anymore. Yeah. Uh, just cause I think those, like the requirement that you have to hit a curveball, And by that, I mean, all of the inspected crap <laughs> that yeah. shoved at you in the last sort of month before you shoot is where great things are born at times, yeah. too. Um, Big Sean, you know? Right, like, exactly. Things like that, yeah. I mean, look, I, I came out, of, I didn't go to film school. I came out of filming my own stuff, and uh, I'm just, the answer is yes. You got it. No, not a problem, you know, for me. So when they're like, well, it's it's going to be this budget, $22 million. That sounds like a fucking fortune. You can know whatever you need. Right. I got it. Like, you know, uh, uh, well, 40 days. Yeah, exactly. What? Yeah. Um, so for me, the answer was just always yes. And, but you like, like what you just said, you really, really dig down and say, what's the opportunity here all the time. What's the opportunity here? Like, you know, I got to cut the sequence or we can't, we can't do this. We can't do that. I mean, I, there's so many things that along the way you're told you can't do and, um, and you just get creative. And that sometimes is how something wonderful. Did born. you explore ever picking anything up or reshooting anything? That sequence, the mythology sequence had more and had a couple of really funny things that we left on the floor and we came in under budget and, they said, you have a choice. You can either go shoot a few more things or you can get a few more good songs. And so I said, ah, okay, let me put this cut together. And at the end of the day, I was like, I want a few more good songs. Like, I, I can live without those things. And uh, for me, uh, there were a few things. I thought about doing some things at the beginning um, of the movie, but at the end of the day, I felt like it's 90 minutes, it's humming along. Let's get some great music and be done with it. Yeah. What, what do you see on the horizon as, as the next kind of challenge to take on? Well, um, not that you have to go on record. Sure. No, I mean, I'm going to do another movie for new line. They, they were so nice. They, they asked me to do something before the movie came out, which shows, which is a huge compliment. Um, we're all thrilled. We had a, a crazy topsy-turvy weekend because we made exactly what we thought we were going to make. Uh, we knew we, we were hoping to maybe beat Matt Damon in his ponytail. Uh, but, man, they just had a lot of money. Um, so we're all 
very happy with this, and and we're gonna um, we're gonna do this movie called Partners uh, with Mark Wahlberg. It's a big sort of central intelligence size movie, and we're just working on the script right now, and and uh, I've got some fun stuff in TV I'm doing, and and uh, and yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> they had the questions out there, yeah. Yes. Oh, God. Um, so I was a stand-up comedian and an actor and an acting coach for 10 years. And at like 30, 31, in 2005. So YouTube has just come out, but it's not really a thing yet. And I decide I want to get into directing because I had been an acting coach and I felt like I was, out, I was directing the actors. I was like, I get, I'm having directors send actors to me. Why the hell aren't I doing this? I just didn't know anything about cameras. And then I saw It's Always Sunny, and the crazy thing about the whole thing and the full circle moment for me was that they inspired me because they had shot their own pilot. So I went out, I shot my own pilot. It wasn't as good as theirs, but I got a, a TV deal out of it, and I thought, I'm on my way. Here we go. 2006, I'm done with all this other crap, and I got a deal at Fox, and I wrote a pilot, and they said, here's your little money that we gave you that you think is a lot of money and you're an idiot because you think that's a lot of money and then I was right back to auditioning for commercials and um, and I just kind of kept making stuff I, and I, early in Funnier Die's existence when they weren't making their own content and the point of Funnier Die was you would post stuff and people would vote funny or die and if it was more funnies than dies it would move up in the queue I made a few things that were successful for lack of a better word on that small site at the time, and ultimately got um, a job directing on Dimitri Martin's show for Comedy Central called Important Things with Dimitri Martin, and I ended up directing the whole second season. He, he called me and said, do you want to do a few sketches? And I was like, oh my God, of course. And then he just kept me around. It was sort of like uh, in The Princess Bride, the Dread Pirate Robert says, and he said, like, I'll probably kill you tomorrow. But that's how I felt. Dimitri's like, why don't you stay two more weeks? Two more weeks. And before I knew it, I'd done the whole the whole season and I thought I was on my way and then I realized oh people think you're a sketch comedy director they don't want you to direct half hour comedy or whatever else it is you want to do so I went back and started making more stuff for Funny or Die and I made one piece that went viral at the time was a million hits and it started uh, a couple of known people Kate Bosworth and Topher Grace and, and Brett Gelman who was a up and coming comedy guy at the time and Topher knew I was a big fan of it's Always Sunny, and he sent it to Glenn Howardin, who's on It's Always Sunny, and said, you should see this. And Glenn said, wow, who directed that? He said, my friend Richie, and he's actually a big fan. And I met Glenn, and he started watching Dimitri's show. And I remember him saying to me, I got to work with you on something, but you're not going to get hired on It's Always Sunny. We only have two directors. It, we have the same two guys. They split the season. I said, oh, no problem. I'm, I just think you guys are great. And then the next year, one of those directors was unavailable and they hired me and and I will tell you though just to contextualize it within that time that I probably met on 15 television shows uh and this is a testament to my agent at CAA god bless this guy Frank Jung he put me up for everything and he passionately pitched me to everyone and people would take the meeting um they just would ultimately say look we love him. If we're going to give him the episode, we're probably going to give it to our editor. <laughs> probably going to give it to our DP. Like, you know, if we're going to take a shot on someone and no one would say, I was like, Tootsie, no one will hire you. No one would hire me until Sonny. And, and the weird thing was that, like, I somehow had this cool street cred because I had just done Dimitri's show and then 
I had a gap and then I did Sunny. And in a weird way, I wonder if I had done those other 12 shows, if, uh, if I would have gotten to do Shameless and Marin and the comedians and the movie. And so, uh, so it was just a, a great thing where people with the same taste saw something in me and gave me a chance. And God, God bless them for doing that. Well, I'll, I think that was a great uh, soliloquy <laughs> yes. to end on. So thank you, everyone, thanks, for guys. sticking around. And thanks to Seth. This is so, so kind of you, Seth. And great job on the movie. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. Check out past episodes of the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org slash podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.